0: You are listening to Truth, a six-week teaching series from Jubilee Church. This series looks at the book of Titus to explain how truth is lived out within the church community. If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. We're in a series in the book of Titus. Um, Paul is, uh, he's this missionary guy who goes and, and he uh, spreads the gospel, he preaches the gospel, and, and wherever the seed of the gospel goes, it always bears fruit. Uh, even in a place like Crete. Crete was a place where the liars always lied, the drunkards were always drunk, there were crooked politicians and even pirates. Um, and But the gospel took root there, and where the gospel take takes root, godliness kind of shows up, but just having Christians... Um, around isn't all that Paul is going for. He tells Titus, hey, you need to organize this thing. So I want you to go and establish healthy churches by establishing elderships in each of these churches so that this gospel can continue to grow and be put on display. And so Paul's a little bit like a coach here. He begins to go into chapter 2 and starts coaching different groups of people. And uh, I've been a coach. Um, I've coached my kids and they're little sports, uh whether it's soccer or baseball or basketball, whatever. And when I've coached these little kids, I just there's just three simple things that I talk to them about. Because if they get older, you get more complicated. But when they're younger, there's just three simple things that you want them to know. Here are my here are my keys to success if you are in kindergarten soccer. Ready for it? Number one, don't walk off the field while the game's going on. This is what we need to I don't care if you have to go to the bathroom. Don't like just go run off. So keeping kids on the field is a big deal. The second one is is play. Uh, the second one is uh, uh, go in the right direction. Go in the right direction. Okay, that's your goal over there. And so like this is my halftime chat. This is like what I'm talking about. Okay, that's your goal and this is your goal. This is all I want you to know, right? You go that way, and you get a little conflict of interest because sometimes they score in the wrong goal, and you want to encourage them because they did something good, but at the same time, it's still the wrong goal. But anyway, so go in the right direction, and finally work as a team. If you're, if one of your teammates has the ball, don't steal it from them. Like, work together as a team. So stay on the field, play your position, uh, excuse me, get, go in the right direction, and work as a team. And Paul here is a coach, and he's going to tell These guys, basically these three things. Like, hey, I want you to stay on the field. You older men, older women. Don't leave the field prematurely. Stay in the fight. Young men, young women, go in the right direction. Work as a team. So Paul's a coach and he's giving him this advice. And this is how this text works. Verse 2 through 10 is about specific groups of people. Older men. Older women, younger women, older men, a pastor, uh, businessmen, employees. We're, we're going to tackle ha- part of this next week. But he bookends this with talking about living your life lined up with the gospel. So verse 1, have it on the screen here as well. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. So basically, teach what is... Uh, Which matches up with sound doctrine. What is sound doctrine? Sound doctrine is basically the gospel. The gospel is Jesus Christ has died for your sin. And he rose to new life so that you can have a new life. That's the gospel. Because of his perfect life and his perfect death... That you uh, that he 's removed the penalty of sin from you, your past sin, your present sin and your future sin he 's gotten rid of all of that, so he 's got rid of your bad record and he 's given you a new record he has given you his righteousness he 's given you his right standing he' has made you he 's made you perfect so Christians are those who aren 't though christianity isn 't a, a to do list this, you cannot I could not belabor this point. Enough. This is not about like, hey, these, this is a list of things that if you can master, you can be one of us. That's not what he's saying here. He, he's saying that this is uh, what happens is a Christian is someone who realizes that they're a terrible leader of their life, and they wave the white flag. They say, I surrender. I, am not, I can't do this anymore. And so they look to Jesus and say, Jesus, will you save me? I receive your death on my behalf to pay for the penalty of my sin past, present, and future. And I receive uh, uh, the credit of your great life. You lived a perfect life, and I received that perfect life. And so now we live not trying to, trying to be a Christian, but actually it's, it's Christ who lives through us. So the gospel, so what he's saying is he wants us to live lives that are in accordance with sound doctrine. So we don't, we don't live these lives to get God to be happy with us, we live these lives because God is already happy with us. Before Christ, we were objects of God's wrath. After Christ, we are now uh, objects of his affection. And, it's, and that's what he says there at the end too. He says, for, for the grace of God, because of the grace of God, bringing salvation to all. And so godliness, when we preach the gospel, this shows up uh, in people's lives so Paul uh, instructs Titus how this is going to translate because how we live is important. It, it's, it's how we put our lives on display because what we want to put on display is Jesus. We, we're those who have countered Jesus, like Jesus, you're the best ever, and I want you to, you, I want you to like uh, take control of my life, and I want and, and I see you as living the ultimate life, and I want your life to live through me. And so what people see, they don't see me anymore, but they see they see you somehow, and that's our destiny. And so there's a life that lives. According to that. So we're going to hear words in this next passage. I just want to warn you, all right? I'm going to warn you about a couple of words you're going to hear. One is going to, you're going to hear this word called self-control. You're going to hear a word called submissive. And these aren't words to run from. They're words to run to because Jesus was those things. Jesus was self-controlled. He was submissive. the banner over Je- One of the banner over Jesus' life was yielded. He lived a yielded life. He lived, he, he lived a life yielded to the Father. He, it says that he only did what the Father said. And so he yielded himself, not just to God, but actually to us. To, when he walked the earth, he yielded himself to the authorities of the day. He yielded himself to, to other people. And it said that he emptied himself. He laid down his rights. You know, sometimes people say, oh, he's full of himself. Oh, she's full of herself. Jesus emptied himself. He became nothing. For us, And he even became yielded to the cross. And so Christians are the ones who are like, yes, Jesus has the best life. Well, if you think that, one of the things, it's, so truth is living what you believe. So if, if Jesus lived the best life, you're going to see that life on display. And one of the things that's going to be characterized for you, this is in time as God begins to work on your heart, is yielded. That you're a yielded person. And so he gets into it. He starts to talk about specific groups of people. And these are stereotypes, mind you, but they're helpful to understand what our, temptation, what our temptations are in various stages of life. So the older men, he charges them to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and steadfastness. Um, a lot of what he says here, he repeats to other groups. But one of the things in particular that he says that's unique, he says, he calls them to to be steadfast, to endure. One of the temptations for older men, if they get to the next to the last third of their life, is a they, uh, they begin to kind of kick back, and you, you know it's about it's about the toys they've accumulated. Um, they feel like they've done enough, and they're tired and and they, they want to pursue hobbies, they want to play golf, they want to go fishing, they want to go to Florida, and they grow weary of themselves, uh, they grow weary of giving themselves to others in service, which always happens when you um, focus on yourself. But what is truth? What does it mean to live according to truth? Is life found in the abundance of our possessions? Is life found Uh, in comfort is life found in about our personal space and flexibility Paul says them to endure to stay in the game to be self-controlled to not think about your own needs to shelf your desires and put the needs of others first that life isn't about accumulating a pile of money but it's about giving your life away to the next generation to give it to the kingdom of God it says to be sound in faith in other words don't get cynical Not trying to be judgmental or anything, but as you get older, sometimes you get a little cynical. Young people these days. Destroying our country, world's going to hell. (laughs) God's promises have not ceased to be true. Jesus has died, He's resurrected, He has a plan for humanity that's still intact, and His plan for you is intact. Caleb is a great example for you if you're an older man. It says, and now in Joshua 14, it says this, he says this, and now behold, I am on this day, 85 years old, 85 years old. And I am still strong. I am still as strong today as the day when Moses sent for me, in case you don't know that he was 40 when Moses sent for him. I'm 85. I'm still as strong as I was when I was 40. So give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke to me on that day. And I shall drive them out just as the Lord has said. Here's a guy not wanting to kick back. He's, he's like, God is on the throne. He has a plan for my life. We have even more a reason p- to persevere than Caleb. Don't be like the family of Moroz. Uh, says this in J- Judges 5.23. Cursed be this family because they did not come out to help the people of God in battle. They're like, ah, let them deal with it their own. So there are different tribes. There are different tribes in, um, in Israel. And there's a group who's like, ah, just let them deal with them on their own. And you can be. You can be older. You can be like, ah, just, you know, just, just let somebody else do that. Don't be like that. Don't be that lead in serving, mentor younger men, feed the poor. Henry Ward Beecher said this, It is not the going out of port, but the coming in that determines the success of a voyage. It's not your start. It's how you finish. Finish strong, older men. We need you. Be temperate. Be worthy of respect. Sound in faith, abounding in love, enduring to the end. And then it says in verse 3, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. So that word likewise means that uh, in, in some ways older women have some of the same temptation as older men. Like they... As they get older, their their temptation is to coast, or their temptation is to walk off the field. Um, Whereas the male cynicism can cause them to be grumpy and apathetic, female cynicism can lead to bitterness and gossip. Men, male disappointment causes them to retreat. Female disappointment causes them to attack. This isn't true for everyone. Admittedly, these are stereotypes. But if, if, if we don't, this is this could be true for any of us. If we don't guard the truth, if we don't make the truth like something we guard, you're you're just going to be subject to life's going to deal you tough blow. You can you can get cynical, and you can get bitter, and you can get you can get angry, and you can begin to lash out. One of the things that you lose as you get older is your filter. Because you just, you just stop caring. Like when you're younger, you're all freaked out about who am I and insecure about who you are. When you get older, a very positive thing happens is you begin to understand who you are. And you're comfortable with who you are where you're like, I don't care what people think. This is who I am. This is what I'm going to be. Now well, Sometimes that can be a good thing. So if, if who you are is coming out in your older age. I mean, there are some who just get more and more beautiful because their character is more and more on display. For others, it could be a bad thing. Disappointments, particularly relational disappointments. You've been hurt. People have stolen from you. People have taken from you. Real pain, real rejection can cause you to grow bitter. And that bitterness can lead to what Paul says, slander and sometimes much wine. Just wanting to numb the pain that you feel. And if you're in this place, I just want you to know, man, I have so much sympathy for you because A, you weren't always this way, but B, um, life's been hard. Life's been cruel almost. But I also want you to know that, that God has empowered you um, not to not to stay in that pain, not to not to allow that pain to stay with you. God has empowered you with something called forgiveness, that, when, that Christ Jesus is, on the cross, forgave you, forgave us of a sin that you will never comprehend on this side of eternity. But it's in view of this like a huge massive sin against him that he's forgiven us that we can go and we can forgive others of things that they've really, people have hurt you. It's very real. It's very significant. It's just not as big as what God has forgiven you of. And when you you look to him, so this is like, again, this is about truth, living what you believe. When you say he's so the the gospel confession is, is Jesus has forgiven me of a massive, massive debt. And when you live that way, it enables you, it empowers you to forgive other people. So you don't have to live in that place if that's where you're at. God wants to pull you out. And, I, and you're in good company because there's so many amazing older women in here that just get more beautiful and more beautiful because their character is on display And we need you older women to stay in the game. We need your example of faithfulness. Particularly our younger women need your example of faithfulness. Verse 4. So that you can train the young women to love their husbands and children. To be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands. That the word of God may not be reviled. Nothing controversial about that. Nothing difficult about that text. I can, I can like, imagine Titus saying to Paul, you want me to say what? What's that? Say it again. Am I good here? Yeah. What do you do when you get to a hard text? Not everybody here is a Christian, but if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you've come across something that you're like, huh? What's that say? I mean, most of the Bible's clear, I think, but there's a part of the Bible that just... Isn't clear. Well, there's a few things you can do when you come to a difficult text. This is a little sidebar to the topic of today, but it's going to equip you to handle today. It's going to equip you to handle other hard texts. There's three things you can do. Number one is you can reject what the Bible says and make yourselves the authority. That's one perspective of life. Um, If you do that, um, that's not really what a Christian is. Um, A Christian is one who sees Jesus as the ultimate example, and you come under his authority. So I would encourage you not to do that. You can reject it. You can shelf it and just say, you know what? I don't even know what to do with you. I'm just going to deal with you later, which isn't the best option, but it's actually not a bad option. If you're just like, man, I don't understand this. I'm just going to shelf it and deal with it later. That's fine. God may help you at a later time. Uh, the, The final thing is you can engage what it's saying and understand the context, understand not just what it's saying and why it's saying it. Because sometimes things just in the Bible are hard. I mean, we're talking about what Paul says here. Peter says this of what Paul had to say. Paul, he said there are some things in them that are hard to understand, talking about some of the things that Paul had to say. Peter's like, man, sometimes that Paul says stuff that I don't get. Here's a guy writing, who has got a pretty good understanding of God, says, I don't understand it. But he says, those who are not mature, who are unstable, twist to their own destruction as they do to other scriptures. So here's what I'm encouraging not to do. Again, that first one. Don't come to a hard text and then make it mean what you think it should mean. That will only lead to your own destruction. Um, don't do that. Shelf it if you need to, or wrestle with it to get understanding. Um, but this is a hard text. This is a difficult one. This is a challenging one. This is one that that people want to bring up when they want to diss the Bible, when they want to paint the scriptures as being and Jesus and the as being misogynistic. Um, but Jesus and the New Testament writers and the leaders were revolutionary when it comes to. Uh, equality when it comes to women's rights and value. Uh, Jesus gets credit for a lot of things, but one of the things he does not get credit for that he should is the value and the dignity and the respect that he showed women. He took, he took, he took, the val- he took that to a level that I don't think anyone in human history has ever done. Um, it's important to understand that context. Many people would say that Aristotle was someone who was wise and had something to say. If you went to uh, college or even high school, they, they want you to know about Aristotle. Here's something he said about women. This kind of paints a picture of what the culture thought that day. He said, females are imperfect males, accidentally produced by the father's inadequacy or the malign influence of a moist south wind. I don't even know what that means, but it's not flattering. Plato, another guy that people want to learn from, said the worst thing for a man would be to to be reincarnated as a woman. By the way, if you're just waking up to the sermon, I'm not agreeing with these statements. This isn't like, I'm not trying to make a point with these. I'm actually... You'll, I'll get there in a minute, but I just want you to know I don't agree with this. Okay. Welcome to Jubilee. So, um, <laughs> Hipponex, who's another Greek author, said this. The two days, he's a poet, the two days are sweetest for a woman. The day her husband marries her and the day her husband buries her. Um, Jesus treated women and spoke of women in a totally different category than everybody else in his age. First of all, I know this didn't sound like a big deal, but he spoke to women. Men didn't do that, especially men of any stature. He allowed women to touch him and he touched them in kindness and in empathy, healing them, blessing them, forgiving them, shielding women from insults, shielding women um, even probably from their death, he stood in the gap for women. And and at, when he died and he rose to new life, and he resurrected, the very first person he appeared to was a woman, Mary Magdalene. And let me just as a, another little sidebar here: if you're gonna ma- if you're if you're gonna make up a story in that day, you would never ever ever write in and a woman saw him first. Because that would just discredit your story. But Jesus valued women. And the New Testament writers brought dignity to women unmatched in that culture. In fact, that was part of the thing is that um, the gospel brought such freedom to women um, that some women took it to a, a level that weren't meant to take. And so a lot of the things that you read about Paul saying certain things and saying, Hey, look. There are still, just like men, there are things that you need to uh, still pay attention to, but a lot of dignity, unmatched in any other person in history that you would have wanted to study. But what does this mean? It says, because I know the one that maybe stuck out to some of you was working at home. What does that mean? Well, let me just say what it doesn't mean. I'm just going to be super clear about this. What Paul's not saying is that women only work in the home. He's not saying that women should not work outside the home. That is not what he's saying. I know some, I've heard this, I've heard this, uh, been a pastor for 12 years, I've heard some women say that they feel like they're not, like they either feel guilt or shame or somehow they're not supposed to work. I just want to say like the Bible does not say that. Uh, There's many examples in the Bible of women working outside the home, Proverbs 31 being the best example. Proverbs 31, verse 10, it says, An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of a merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is still yet night, so it's dark outside, and provides food for her household. She's taking care of things and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it with the fruit of her hands she plants of it. This woman's impressive. She's strong. She's making deals outside the home. She's at least a real estate agent. She's a business owner. She's uh, providing for food for... She's a farmer. Um, and she's an amazing mother and an amazing wife. Her f- husband trusts her. They're working as a team. They're not working in competition. They're working as a team. There are many amazing women in this church who are amazing mothers, amazing wives, and are amazing in business as well. And the Bible is not speaking against that, but this is what the Bible is trying to say. The Bible is speaking about getting your value outside of what God has asked you to do. The Bible's. Because what culture does is culture gets value out. It's it's going for self-actualization. And so what that means is just like it's the pursuit of self. And this is male or female. So it's a problem for both men and women in our culture is that I'm defined as a successful person. I'm defined as someone of value if I achieve in business if I achieve in whatever I, my work, if I make a lot of money, if I have a lot of stuff, if I if I if I appear as an important person, male or female. So this is not this is just so the Bible's saying, look, self-actualization is not where you get value. You get your value out of your relationship with Christ. And it's actually trying to bring value to the home life. It's trying to bring value to children. Jesus said, Hey, don't push the kids away, let them come to me. Trying to bring value to family life. In fact, if you might have, two weeks ago when we talked about the qualifications of an elder. An elder is a guy who is like, a, first and foremost, manages his house well. Like, is engaged with his kids, is engaged with his spouse. So Paul's just saying the same thing essentially um, to the women that don't get, self, don't get your sense of self outside of what God has put in front of you to do, um, Abby Clevenger. That we that that were these Mother's Day gifts that uh, we handed out. She's a good friend of my wife and I. Um, she started this business a few years ago. Um, has sixteen full-time employees. Sells this jewelry to more than three hundred and fifty stores across the United States. Amazing mother, amazing wife. It's awesome because she feels. This is what God's asking her to do. When we have, we're good friends with them. We vacation with them. They, we, when we ask them, hey, what do you? Because she, she feels this tension like a lot of moms do. Um, I read something today that just broke my heart. Uh, f- only forty-three percent of mothers who stay at home feel like they're doing a good job. Twenty-six, only twenty-six percent of mothers um, who work outside of the home feel like they're doing a jo- good job. And I just. It just breaks my heart that mothers would feel that much guilt and shame about what God's put in front of them. And and there's that tension sometimes, and it's a big decision, because you want to serve your kids well, but you feel this calling uh, elsewhere. Uh, The main thing is that you're working as a team, and that you are doing what God has you to do, and that you're not getting sucked into getting your value out of what you do but who God's made you to be. This is so counterculture. A couple years ago, this woman named Linda Hirschman on Good Morning America said, and I quote, Homemakers are living lesser lives. The host responded, but many find their work in the home valuable. Linda said, well, I'd like to see a description of their daily lives that substantiates that. It doesn't sound particularly interesting for a complicated, educated person. Now, I just want to say on behalf of all of the educated, brilliant, complicated women who choose to stay at home, I'm insulted by that. Um, now, I want to be clear. I think Linda's trying to do a very good thing. She's trying to empower women. Uh, husbands should seek to empower the wives. Through the gospel, God wants to empower women. How you get to that empowerment is a huge, huge deal. Sheath believes, Linda believes that you get empowerment through self actualization by being all you can be. And if you're, if you're at home, you can't do the more important task out in the workplace. And um, Paul is coming against that leading against that mentality because if you carry that mentality you're you're wanting to empower but what you end up doing is you end up marginalizing and managing all the relationships in your life so you're not a good friend because you're always sizing up your friends about what they can do for you if that's what you believe if you believe that i got to become all that i can be if i'm to be the human being that i need to i need to achieve my maximum potential You'll, you'll marginalize friendships You'll marginalize your family. You'll marginalize your parents. When they get older and they get in the way of your career, you'll push them to the side. And you may do that with your family. You may do that with your spouse. Your spouse is getting in the way of your career. Man or, well, this is talking to young women, but you should be talking to young men as well. In fact, young men get this worse. Choosing self-fulfillment over what God has put In front of them. You want a model for this? Jesus. Jesus found fulfillment in washing feet. Because that's what the father told him to do. Not because it was an important task. He says, you call me master. You call me Lord. You think I'm great and I am. Now watch me. Watch. Wash your feet. We cannot get caught up. Men and women. In thinking, our value comes from whatever we do. Our value doesn't. Because you know what? There's going to be a day where you stand before God in heaven. And those things aren't going to matter. How far you climbed up the corporate ladder won't matter. Your GPA won't matter. Thank God, right? Um, all All the accomplishments that you went out and did, they won't matter. One thing matters, faithfulness. Here's a great verse to like soak in. First Corinthians four, two through four. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. So this is a this is a mission statement over your life. If you're a, not everybody's here the Christian, but when you become a Christian, you are a steward of of this world that God owns and everything He puts in your possession. You are a steward of the intellect. You are a steward of the gifts and the money and everything. So what is your mission statement? Your mission statement is that you be found faithful. That's your goal. And this is how you do it. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or any human court, is that you learn to minimize the the voices out there that try to tell you how you should value yourself and how you should. So minimize the voices out there. And then it says, in fact, I don't even judge myself. So you don't even really, you, you don't even like get your sense of self from yourself. Where do you get it from? It is the Lord who judges me. So this is what it is. It's every day, every week, every year. You don't think about okay, what you know? How do I match up with how everybody else is in culture, or how do I? What do I want to do? Because ultimately, if you're a Christian, you're, you're following Christ. It's like it's God who judge. You you know how this is going to end. You you know you're, you're not confused. You know that one day you're going to stand before Him, and faithfulness is the only thing. It's going to count. So every day, you don't have to wait until you... You don't have to wait till that day, by the way. You can ask Him right now. Right now, you can go home tonight and say, God, is there anything in my life that you're not happy with? God, is there anything that you want me to do that I'm not currently doing? And get out a pen and get out a paper, because God will speak to you. And He'll share those things with you. Faithfulness. This is Paul speaking to the women, but he could speaking to the men. I limit myself to value the family. I limit my work week. I limit my travel. I'm not looking to be all that I can be. I'm only looking to be all that God wants me to be, and a big, huge part of that is being a good husband and being a good father. I was a near-scratch golfer when I was in college, but I don't play golf all that much right now. I don't... I got, if I've got five hours on a Saturday, I'm not playing golf. I'm I've got a season with my kids right now that I, that I want to, because that's what God's asked me to do. He's not asked me to go be super pastor. He's, he's asked me to shepherd a flock and to do that as faithful as I can, but he's, I, know, I know this. I know of all the relationships that I have. I know that my, the relationship I have with my wife and the relationship with, I have with my kids is for sure something God wants me to do. So I give myself to that. And if I've got five hours on a Saturday, I'm not playing golf. I'm not working. I'm spending time with my kids. I'm playing catch in the yard. I'm going to the park. I'm arguing with my seven-year-old whether or not we're going to watch Frozen or Tangled. We're, (laughs) and I don't get fulfillment from that. Okay. Okay. Verse six. Likewise, urge younger men to be self-controlled. That's it. So, like, for every group of for every for the older men, older women, younger women, there's like seven things. Come here, young men. I got one thing: self-control. Get control of yourself. If there's an Achilles heel, and this is, I mean, this is there's. A lot of reasons for this big one is if you boil it down for a young man, the Achilles heel is they are led by their desires for pleasure and for recognition. They're led by their desires for pleasure and recognition. If you can learn to control your passions and your desires and lusts, you could become somebody. I mean, God could just do amazing things through you. Deal Moody said, the world has yet to see what God can do with one man totally sold out to him. Said of Jesus, here's your example. For the joy set before him, before him, before him in the future. Delayed gratification. In the present, endure the cross. Self-control. Contrast, Proverbs says this. uh, Proverbs 25. A man without self-control is like a city whose walls have been broken through. I don't care how brilliant you are. I don't care how good-looking you are. I don't care how amazing you are. If you live in a city without walls, you open yourself up to the enemy coming in and taking whatever he wants anytime he wants, and he will. You give yourself over to lust, you will, he will steal from you. You give yourself over to spending all your money and not saving it or giving it away to others, he will steal from you. If you give yourself to the immediate pleasure and just play games all the time, he will steal from you. Robbers, thieves. J.C. Ryle said this being ruled by the desires of your body will murder your soul. It will murder your soul. Uh, there's a very famous test did about 20 years ago, known as a Stanford marshmallow test. And this is what happened. They got a bunch of kids in a room. And they, gave, they did it with 600 kids. And they gave, them, uh, they gave them each a marshmallow. And they said, you can eat this now, and you won't get in trouble for it. Or um, if we're going to leave, and we're going to come back in an unspecified amount, amount of time. And if you haven't eaten the marshmallow, we'll give you two more so you have three. And so they did this. They, they gave each kid a marshmallow. They walked, walked out the door. As soon as they walked out the door, a third of them ate the marshmallow. The, uh, the, the big portion of them tried not to eat the marshmallow, and they really tried. I mean, they, they closed their eyes, they wouldn't look, they'd peek out of it. You know, they'd walk around the marshmallow, just like keeping an eye on it. There's one, a couple of kids would like lick the ground by the marshmallow, thinking somehow they can get some of the flavor. Like that, maybe it like transferred in the wood, and to about twenty percent, about twenty percent didn't eat the marshmallow right away, and got the two extra marshmallows. <clears throat> now the interesting thing is, is they followed those kids for twenty years, um, and those same kids were seen to be more competent and scored two hundred points higher average on their ACT those who had self-control. Now, a major determinant, a major determinant in whether or not the kids ate the marshmallow was the age. In other words, a major determinant in whether or not they ate the marshmallow was maturity. And you can have maturity as a young man, or you can have maturity as an old man, or you can have immaturity as a young man, or immaturity as an old man. This word self-control was for all of us. It was for everyone but he wanted to zero in on the young men. To not be given to lust, to not be given to the pleasure of the moment, to not be given to spending your money, but teaching yourself to say no. Winston Churchill was invited back to his alma mater to speak a few things to the boys, and this is a very famous speech. And in this speech, he said a few things Then he leaned in, he said, never, ever, 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 ever give in. Never give in, never give in, never give in. Don't give in to the roller coaster of your emotions. Be men of faith. Be steadfast men. God can do so much through you. Be men of self-control. Paul says to this group, this church, he says, stay on the field. Older men, older women, don't leave the field prematurely. Stay on the field. Fight. We need you. We need your example. We need your example of faithfulness. He says to the younger women, he says to the younger men, go in the right direction. Be self-controlled. Work as a team. Don't steal the ball. Work as a team. Young men, young women, older men. Older one, all working together, not dividing up into groups, but learning to work together, learning from each other, gaining younger, older men gaining strength from younger men, younger men gaining wisdom from older men, and with women likewise. Now again, we don't get this way by white-knuckling it and just trying to pretend to be this person when we're really not. It's like if I wanted a rose bush outside my yard, there's a couple things I can do. I I could go buy... You know, a couple dozen roses from Chinooks, and I can duct tape them to a plant. And if you're driving by, you may think, wow, look, he's got a rose bush. But here's the problem with that they're gonna die really quickly, and I'm gonna have to do that every week, and it becomes really exhausting and a lot of work. In the end, it's not, it's a pretty lame rose bush if you get up close. The other thing I can do is I can plant a seed in the ground and water that seed and grow that seed to become a rose bush that just lives and it's on display and it has a life of its own Paul's trying to say this, this is, Christianity isn't about going finding a bunch of roses and duct taping them to your life so you look like a Christian because that just gets exhausting you have to do it all the time and it doesn't work and if anyone ever gets up close they'll know that it's not real in fact there were some of those in the church that we talked about last week Be someone who plants the gospel in their life and allow this character to flow through you. So if you're struggling in any of these areas that we talked about, don't feel, don't, don't, oh, I got to get busy, I got to do all this work. Now let, let, let God work in your heart. Let the Holy Spirit fill you and begin to redirect how you think and feel about these things so that God can begin to do that work in your life.